Hello, and welcome to the Lakeshore Records podcast, On Cue With. I'm your host, Alon Leviton, and I had the great pleasure of speaking with BAFTA award-winning Danish composer Jesper Kidd, who's widely celebrated for his experimental approach to creating iconic music for blockbuster video game franchises, including Assassin's Creed, Borderlands, Darksiders, Hitman, and State of Decay. In our wide-ranging conversation, we discussed his first childhood compositions on a Commodore 64, Viking ethnomusicology, the great Jean-Michel Jarre, Jesper's live performance-based approach to sonic world-building, and much, much more. Upon release, Assassin's Creed Valhalla became the number one soundtrack record in multiple countries and is currently available on streaming platforms everywhere via Lakeshore Records. Without further ado, I give you the great Jesper Kidd. Jesper, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing really good. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, congratulations on the number one record. Uh, I think you beat out um, two Spider-Men, uh, Hamilton, some Trolls, plenty of others. Uh, congratulations. Multiple countries, U.S. number one uh, on, on the iTunes soundtrack charts. I mean, really, really impressive. Thank you, man. Thank you, dude. Yeah, um, it's an incredible score. Um, so much to talk about, but let's first start from the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up, your first musical influence, influences? Um, I read that you played the piano at a young age and began composing on a Commodore 64. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, right outside Copenhagen in Denmark. Um, I grew up with a piano in the house, and um, you know, whenever we would go visit family, there was always a piano and, and this is such a weird thing to think back on, but like my uncles and aunts and grandparents, there was always a piano. And so I would, whenever I was bored, I would, I would sit and play on this piano trying to figure out this instrument. And um, that's really hard started for me. I was not that interested in playing other people's music. I was more interested in, in trying to figure out how to produce emotions um, you know, with this instrument. And once uh, for Christmas, I got a Commodore 64, my brother and I. And, uh, you know, of course, we got it for the games and uh, was going to play a lot of those. But what I noticed about that machine and the games on the Commodore was that the music, I mean, it was incredible. And actually, the Commodore 64 has a analog sound chip inside and i believe it's the first computer and console with an actual analog music chip inside so the music these composers were able to create uh completely fascinated me and i became obsessed with this music i wanted to try to figure out how the hell can they have the same instrument that i have and they can make that kind of music 
You know, all the tools I have are right in front of me. You've got the Commodore 64 right there. How do I figure out how to make music like this? And so I would go through different music programs. And, uh, you know, at one point I found a really good music program and, and just, just, you know, it became one track a day. I just had to make a piece of music a day. I didn't care if it was good or if it was bad. It was just about, um, I just enjoyed it so much. Uh, you could say, you know, I, I became kind of addicted to making music. But where did that drive the work ethic come from? I mean, I understand, you know, loving, loving something, but this just even conceptually a track a day is, is pretty advanced for a kid. Right. I didn't see it like that. I didn't put this worth ethic into play on a purpose. It just was something that I, every time I was done with homework, you know, it would just something that I started doing. Um, and as I started writing more and more music, I became aware that there was this whole subculture um, that existed on the Commodore 64. And, you know, with thousands of people making demos and, and intros. And what these things are is you have a programmer who does some programming tricks. Then you have a graphic artist and then you have a musician. And the programmer puts those things together and there's an overall design. So you could call it like a 10-minute music video or, uh, you know, on the, on the Commodore 64, they were more like, you know, three-minute music videos. And I became extremely fascinated with that whole scene um so my friends at that time were like programmers and graphic artists and and our passion was to prove to everyone else that we were the best at something you know so you would there was this intense competition in this demo scene with these hundreds of groups from all over europe and you, there would be like big competitions. You would travel to these parties with thousands of people sitting on their computers, presenting these demos, winning prizes and, and money. Um, and there was just this drive to prove that we were, uh, you know, that we kicked ass and, uh, you know, that we could do things that nobody had even thought was possible on a Commodore 64, which later became the Amiga computer, when I really got involved with demo scene. Um, and, and we did some demos there that became very well known. Um, and that's when we founded a game company. There was always this, this drive just to, to, to show that we could do things our own way. Um, and that ended up with us founding a game company. And we sold our first game to Sega. Um, and you know, those are the, those are my, my my friends, and those guys are the same guys who who founded uh, I or Interactive later on. Um, wow! You know, so I became part owner of a game company. Was I was like I don't know eighteen or something. Um, my first game score came out when I was seventeen. I was just uh, I was just I would do everything I could to try to end up working in the game industry. Very interesting. I was not aware of that. That's that's really interesting. So you. You've been on every side of the creative process as far as musicians go. Well, I've always done the music, but I've mm -hmm. been very close to, to, you know, to the whole side of it, um, programming and graphics. You know, I mean, when we first um, became really – when we became really active in the demo scene and when we kind of rose up to the, to the top, perhaps, you could say, um, that was on the Amiga. And there was a demo group called Silence, and they uh, invited us to become Silence Denmark, and we would have our own division. But mm -hmm. interestingly, Silence Sweden became Digital Illusions. 
Dice in Sweden, which is one of the biggest game companies in Scandinavia, mm-hmm. and and Silence Denmark eventually led a lot of those people led and and founded IO Interactive, the biggest game company in Denmark. So I mean, we were just a group of uh, looking back super talented people you know and i was 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 feeding off on all that energy and there was just this um there was this uh, i don't know there was this vibe uh you know we would listen to um you know skinny poppy all day and and and, and program you know everybody wearing black long hair you know uh, metal music um it, it was uh it was kind of rebellious and, and it's like we're gonna do our own 3d engine you know we're not gonna use uh somebody else 3d engine yeah you know or yeah or when when i worked some of my very first game soundtracks on the sega genesis we did our own music program for that because we weren't going to use Sega's music program because we could do much better. And so th- this was the whole spirit of the demo scene. And I still carry this with me today, you know, this, this kind of drive to do things uh, a bit differently, to try to combine things in unusual ways and, and see where it ends up. All that was something that I started in the demo scene when I was, when I, was I don't know, 15 very very cool it's, yeah. it's very punk rock it's all it's a very oh. punk rock approach. yeah now that i live over here you have it's a good way to put it absolutely um yeah. you um, know I'm, so. I'm, I'm wondering i'm wondering aesthetically your approach to composing for open world gameplay what is your approach given because you, you know it's not sequential right so you don't know the choices the player will make specific timing or anything so how, what is your general ethos or approach to, to that form of composition? Well, first of all, I like to pull out a bit and, and, and have more of an overview uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and remind myself that we are building worlds. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it sounds cool. I know world building, but that really is a, a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, when you build these worlds, you have to take into account everything the game player can do and all the mechanics that are in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, once you have that laid out in front of you and you have a good idea of, of what this game is going to feel like and play like, you can start zooming in on things. Oh, there's going to be a lot of stealth. We need to focus on a lot of stealth music. There's going to be combat. There's going to be tension. There's going to be suspense. You know, you try to come up with all the different um, elements within the gameplay that the game that you want the game player to feel, and once you break all those feelings down, you can zoom in and say, "I'm going to write uh, two or three minute suspense music for when this happens, mm-hmm. or two three minute combat music for when this happens." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it works very differently in video games because you don't have to worry about, um, you, you know, you how long you decide to stay in that mood is up to the game player. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so that piece of music has to be uh, quite expansive and quite long. If a game player decides to do this specific thing for much longer than the development team had perhaps uh, Mm -hmm. expected, you know, you don't want the game to sound like it's, it's, you don't want the music to not sound good just because a game player decides to do it this way. So you Mm -hmm. have to take all of that into account and make this, 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 this giant amount of possibilities. 
And then, of course, you also have exploration music, which is, you know, for when you're exploring the maps or when you're not engaging in a mission, but when you're just exploring and there's no danger. And those moments... I find fascinating as well because you can create longer pieces of music, three, four minutes pieces of music that encourages the game player to keep exploring. And I think of that as a way to keep the atmosphere going, keep the game player invested in that world. It's almost Mm. like the music pulls you in more and more and it adds a lot of depth to the world. Uh, And I think especially in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it's quite apparent that the soundtrack is adding all this additional depth to the world. Um, You know, when you're in a frozen environment, the music that that plays there, you know, it it makes you kind of cold. You have to really think these things through. And so once you have all the elements, you can start to combine it together. That's my approach on open world scoring. Other styles and game like other game types you know do different things but open world this approach is is uh, is that's how i see it you know for open world games very interesting it's it's also what i find fascinating about it is like there's a lot of is my blue your blue because you know are we seeing the same thing or hearing the same thing because as i play the game i'm literally hearing difference based on my choices versus your choices when you play the game i'm hearing different score cues right right, right. I'm hearing I'm, I'm experiencing a different symphony um but it's interesting to note and i didn't realize this you do correct me correct me if i'm um mischaracterizing what you said but you're you're putting your thumb on the scale a bit as a sort of god or composer who is saying well in this world you may be best served uh, giving X, Y, and Z sonic cues to explore more. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's true that the the music can hint at things like, if for example, I mean, I'm not, you know, for example, if there's an area that you have some secrets in, you know, the music can definitely help you. Like if it's some music starts over there, immediately it will hint, oh, there's something over here, something special over here. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, you do. I mean, you know, you you do end up uh, putting your vision into into the game, obviously. And also, another thing I like to draw on is the story and putting elements of the story that you might not be playing at that moment. But I still like to remind you, you know, mm-hmm. that that is the story and that is something that's going on. Now, that can be hard in video games because we don't always know how long you have progressed in the story. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you decide not to go on a story path and you just want to explore and see everything, the music still has to support that. But then once you take the path of the story, it's not like we can have new music every uh, step of the way if it takes you 16, uh, 60 hours to play through the story. You know, we don't sure. have 60 hours of music. Like in a movie, everything is scored from beginning to end. You know, games are becoming so huge that you do have to uh, take a lot of things into account. But sprinkling the story or or even have specific cues when something very important happens, of course, um, mm. is another aspect that's really important, I feel, for, for open world games and in mm. general. 
Um, given all the, the amazing scores you've created for different periods and geographic locations, you're, you're quite the ethnomusicologist. Um, so I'm wondering how did you go about absorbing the historical context for Assassin's Creed Valhalla? Well, growing up in Denmark, uh, the Viking, uh, you know, the Viking thing is is quite deeply imprinted on us. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's it's something that we're taught about a lot, and uh, you know, we have a lot of Viking settlements in Denmark and, and Viking museums, and so it's always been, um, it's it's always you know, it's it's never been like far away in 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 mm-hmm. the back of my head. It's always been part of your DNA, you know, coming out of. Um, out of that world um for for valhalla i did a lot of research um especially uh on the the more spiritual side of things um i really think they have a outstanding complex afterlife system in play you know probably one of the most complex ones i've heard about um they also have so many different gods that represent so many different things it, it it's like um there's so much there to tap into. Uh, and I did work on getting different um, levels of spirituality into the music. Uh, that was a very conscious thing. I, w- I wanted the music to be, especially the exploration music, to be a bit abstract um, and to be something that different people who heard it would interpret different ways. Um, and... Um, yeah, you you know you go you go in you do the research. I did a lot of research on uh, instruments as well, and mm. of, of course the the Takelhaber is the quintessential uh, you know Viking instrument. Um, but outside of that, I added a lot of a lot of other instruments um, like the the cross or the 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 rebec, uh, metal drums. Um, I I got a Takelhaber cello. Uh, you know, a lo- lot of instruments that um, you could you could say were ancient instruments, um, but it's uh, so yeah. So the instruments were were another big part of the the research. Was there um, were there any particular scales or modes or song structures that you had to adopt or you you researched, um, or was it? Uh, your general approach or was there anything particular to the Assassin's Creed Valhalla score? Well, I, I, there's no specific scales that I used. I wanted the music to have a more updated and modern sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so the instruments themselves, I feel give a lot of the, the Viking atmosphere to the score. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, um, you know, it, the, the way I write is very much in atmosphere Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's really my, um, and especially for this project, it, be- it became the first thing that Ubisoft asked us, you know, we need the music to feel very, uh, authentic to this world. You know, it's, 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 it's not, uh, you know, like, like other projects, the story is the first thing you talk about and, and that you start from there. But with Assassin's Valhalla, it became very much about the world. And I think as people have played it, it's clear that this world really is a very detailed, authentic, living, breathing world. Um, and and when you have this giant world that you can freely explore, um, 
having this music come in and and support that is uh is what makes video games video games too you know it, it it's a totally different way to work um and it's it gives you a a lot of creative freedom um to be able to write these these pieces of music for when nothing specific actually is happening in the story you know you kind of have to sit back and 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 come up with a lot of ideas yourself uh whereas in a movie you're you're always kind of like the story is always there to give you ideas um, yeah, I have to say, you know, when I first um, when I first heard the music, you know, I, I mentioned a little bit. I spoke with Anar a little bit, and I mentioned this to him. You know, I'm American. I have a bit of a cartoonish understanding um, of you know Vikings, uh, and and so when I first heard the music, or before I heard the music, I was expecting you know rah 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 Vikings, you know, um, and then when I actually heard it, I was oh my goodness this is absolutely beautiful and as you said very atmospheric very expansive very engaging um and just you know symphonic in a way that is just timeless and i have to say just you really nailed it you absolutely nailed it. thank you man i mean that is very interesting you should say that actually because um the first music that I wrote for the game, the feedback came back. This music is too dark, you know, because <laughs> I, I had, you know, I had some of the same ideas there. I thought Viking music, you know, it has like a dark pulsating drive to it, you know, Vikings, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, as they started showing me more and more of the game, it was very clear that the music also strongly needed to support where you were not engaged in a mission, you know, to encourage you to explore this world. And that was one of the, the challenges to find out, well, then what does Viking music sound like when it doesn't have that darkness to it? That was really something that I had to go and explore and experiment with to, to, to find out what is this. And again, that's where the, the spiritual side of it and the, the afterlife and the, the gods and all these things became a big help, a big inspiration. You know, mm -hmm. I think of, for me personally, I just when I started seeing the first footage, it all sort of really made sense to me because I heard the music first. Um, right. Seeing the footage. And, you know, then now you're seeing these just open, open world, but literally like a expansive fields and rolling hills and just beautiful landscapes and, you know, the ships. And you, you combine that with the, the worldview of the Vikings, animism it all starts to make sense why it would be so rich and it's in a way meditative, which was the exact opposite of what I expected. It's funny, right? Because you think of it, it's like in a game about assassins, you know, and it's like, but I, but I do, I agree with you. I mean, that's very much what I was hoping for as well, that it, it gives, it puts you in this world and it just kind of wants to keep you there. Uh, Cause it, it's, it hopefully feels good to be in there, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to ask, so your, the main theme is really just a standout, fantastic track. Um, and you, you collaborated um, with uh, Sarah Shachnar and Einar Selvig.
um, can you tell us what your collaborative approach to composing it or demoing it or recording it? How did that actually go down? Yeah, so I had some really good talks with Simon Landry, the audio director at Ubisoft's project, and um, we were talking about what should this this theme feel like, and uh, what is you know what is the intent of this theme. Um, so I did a um, a first version of the theme, uh, which they really liked, and so that I sent to Sarah, and she would continue writing and producing on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, uh, Anar got involved and did the vocals on it. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a really interesting collaborative process where, um, you know, had the three of us not been involved, it wouldn't have ended up sounding the way it did. Mm-hmm. What can you get? What is the, the orchestration or the arrangement there? I I cannot figure out that the what is driving the melody. Well, the tackle harbor is is driving the mel- melody, and and that is an in- instrument that we use a lot on this score. Both Sarah and I, and uh, of course uh, Ana Selvik, um, it, it is the Viking instrument. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. I need to get more familiar with that instrument because it sounds amazing. I mean, I, I imagine you've got some sort of, I don't know what, uh, crazy reverbs on it or something. Right, because it's it's so huge, and I mean, it's it's just a massive wall of sound to me. Right, right. I mean, that is a a question for Sarah, but um, (laughs) I I definitely like to put lots of effects on 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 all the uh, ancient instruments and the performances that I do here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes it very modern in a cool way. It's almost like pop. Yeah. I mean, you you can you can you know. I mean, that's the thing. All the music that, um, from my perspective, all the music that I wrote is is is, is founded in live performance, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and and then you you know, I do a lot of messing around with it um, afterwards, and also during the performance. Um, but I think it's uh, it's something that we we all do on this score, all three of us. There's a lot of processing and there's a lot of work involved to make uh you know an instrument that that's like 800 years old uh or a thousand years old sound you know any good you know yeah no i mean i i'm like i'm waiting for the samples to come i just i i feel like it's going to be on top like you're going to hear toggle hopper on top 40 radio or something (laughs) Uh, so I've heard you mentioned Jean-Michel Jarre and Stravinsky as influences. Is that right? right? Yeah. Um, some of my, uh, er, they are, they are my, some of my early influences for sure. Especially when I was in the demo scene, that was, uh, you know, a, a big part of what I was listening to. And is there anything specific that you admired or absorbed from their music or, or other current influences that you have that you care to mention? Yeah, I think Sharmishal Shar was was such an influence because he was when his music came out. I think it was in seventy two or seventy three. His first album came out, and um, you know there had been some Tangerine Dream around at that time as well. But Sharmishal Shar really kind of made it into. Um, it's it's almost pop music. It's very memorable, very strong themes. And I just remember hearing this music and I had never heard anything like this before. It was totally 
alien to me, completely new. Like it couldn't have been recorded five years earlier. It was using the latest instruments, electronic devices at that time. And, and so it was something brand new to me uh, and to everyone who heard it. And I was fascinated with that. Same thing with like, uh, with like Vangelis, for example, Mm-hmm. He would do all this synthesizer music as well uh, in the 70s uh, and 80s. And um, My Goldfield was another big influence of mine. Um, mm. And uh, I love how atmospheric these three composers' music is. Um, and it, it, had a, it definitely had a huge um, influence on my, my, um, the, kind of the, the early days of, of trying to find my sound. Cool. Very cool. Um, do you have any advice for young composers coming up on their way up? Well, I would say, um, you know, try to make music that you're really passionate about because that is going to result, I, in my opinion, in stronger music. Instead of trying to do everything and perhaps doing everything okay, it's better to do specific things very good. You know, um, that, you know, a lot of people, almost everybody can learn to do something that perhaps ends up sounding a bit mediocre, you know, but you want to set yourself apart. So you want to focus on something that you're really passionate about. And then you want to, you know, just invest a lot of time in that. Um, I think that's a, a good path. And, and and don't pay too much attention to what's popular right now, because once you're once you're done figuring out how to write music we might be in another in another place you know um so yeah that's that's some advice i can give right there yeah so it's basically be more of a specialist than a generalist would it would you say that's right i think so i think so you know um blow people away with um with something special in, in instead of trying to be able to do everything uh i think that's a good that's a good path yeah and you yeah. know, and, and be and be patient. I mean, I made music for years and years and years before I felt like it was starting to get any good. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm going to butcher the quote. I can't remember what the quote is, but it's something like, you know, most people fail right on the precipice because they give up on the precipice of success, right? They're not patient, right? Enough. And it it really comes down to you know you you got to have a, you got to have a drive to do it. You know, if you do it, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, um, then it's, it's, you know, when, when crunch time comes or when things get really hard, uh, you're more likely to give up or something, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not um, a glamorous life, you know, sitting in front of uh, sitting in a room alone full of music instruments, you know, it's, 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 um, I'm conscious of your time, Jesper. So I have two more questions for you. Um, do you have a dream project that you'd like to compose for? Well, Assassin's Creed is a dream project. Uh, you know, you get to go to different uh, time periods and, and different regions. Uh, and, and so there's all these new things you have to uh, research and, and kind of invent and, and, and trying to figure out how you know when i did like uh, renaissance music for assassin's creed 2 i knew nothing about renaissance music i mean nothing and uh, mm-hmm. nobody you know and, and i had to do a modern take on it and nobody was making a modern take 
on Renaissance music back then. I mean, now you hear it more, but, 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 um, so Assassin's Creed is definitely uh, a dream project. I I'm looking for project that I find, um, you know, fascinating where I can push myself in new directions, but also it's really important to work, um, with good people. I feel, you know, people that will uh, allow you to be creative, uh, and a studio like, um, Ubisoft Montreal, which uh, is the studio that invented Assassin's Creed. Um, I've done four Assassin's Creed with them and also worked on Splinter Cell Care Stereo with them. Uh, it's a great studio to work for. Um, so so that's, that's what I'm looking for. You yeah. know, you, you, if, if, if you have a dream project and you finally land that project, but somehow they don't allow you to be creative, well, then it's not a dream project anymore, you know? Sure, sure, sure. It makes sense. Um, last question. Uh, it, hypothetically, you're transported to Valhalla and the gods ask you to play a song. What would you play? Um, any song and not just, you know, from any artist. Any, any, whatever you want to do. The okay. Yours to answer as you see fit. I would play uh, uh, the main titles of 1492 uh, Vangelis. Nice. The most, the most atmospheric thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I like that answer. I like that's a great answer. Thank you, Jesper, for your time. Congratulations! It's an amazing, amazing, amazing soundtrack. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you.